So we are concluding this series uh, today titled Blessed as we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount throughout the summer. And we've been looking at, at, at all of the Beatitudes which are found in Matthew chapter 5. But as we finish this today, we are going to continue on in Matthew after, um, after the Sermon on the Mount, which covers uh, these chapters 5, 6, and 7. Now, um, the, the next section of the gospel uh, has a lot of parables in it. And in fact, there's a lot of parables about the kingdom of heaven. And so we're going to be studying some of those different parables that we're going to finish out the summer with. So we're just going to continue our, our, to study through the gospel of Matthew. Uh, that we will conclude that then on Labor Day, and then after Labor Day weekend, Sunday. Uh, we'll be starting a new series then, and we're going to be studying uh, the seven churches of Revelation. So we're going to be looking at that uh, as we kick off our fall. So for those that like to read ahead uh, and to, to prepare yourself for, for what, where we're studying, uh, you can just read further on in Matthew, and then flip all the way to the end of your Bible and read those, those for opening chapters of Revelation. So that's uh, again, where, where we're headed. But today, like I said, as we finish uh, this series, this blessed series about uh, the Sermon on the Mount, I hope that as you look back at all that we've studied and read and learned uh, from this series, and again, if you've missed some of them, they're all available online or in podcasts, so you can go back and listen to them and get caught up. But I hope that you've had the same reactions that those did that, that first heard it, that heard the sermon live from Jesus. Right? And we see their reaction in Matthew 7, verses 28 and 29, where it says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of the religious law. And, and you know, when we think about and see and study the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, I hope that you are amazed. Amazed that our Messiah that it was sent by God, who it was God, that lived a sinless life and died on a cross and rose again on the third day, that, that he taught us how to do life, really do life. Right? And he, he brings authority with that teaching. And, and as we study his word and these, all these areas of life that he addresses in this sermon, we, we learn so much about what our lives as followers of Jesus should be. And how we get changed from the inside out. And again, Jesus' teaching oftentimes isn't what we expect, but it is always what we need and, and for us to move forward in our faith journey. And you, you, we join the journey of faith, right, by receiving Christ as our Savior, by confessing with our mouth, right, that he is Lord and confessing our sins and receiving his, his grace and mercy and forgiveness. And, and then we start a new journey in that journey of faith when we receive him as our Savior. And, and the Holy Spirit then indwells us, and we do life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and as we've studied this message that Jesus gives, all these, these character traits and attributes that are described in these Beatitudes that he dives deeper into, we, again, have seen and know and realized that, that we cannot live this life on our own power, that we need the power of the Holy Spirit living in us and through us, right, to be able to do that. So I want to open this morning by, as with reading this famous passage known as the Beatitudes. It is the intro to Jesus' sermon. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Matthew chapter 5. If you're with us in person and you don't have your own Bible or don't have it with you, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats that you're welcome to use. If you're with us online, if you have your Bible close, you can open up to Matthew 5. If not, it's fine. I'll just, you can just listen as I read it. But we're going to pick up here Matthew 5, starting at verse 3. It says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. 
God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Lord God, we thank you that you are always God blesses by our those side. who are humble, for they will inherit. God, whether we're being persecuted for our God faith, blesses or those who hunger and thirst for Jesus, for being a baker, God, you're with us, and we thank God you. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be. And God, I pray. God blesses those whose hearts week, are pure, for they will move forward in our faith every day. God blesses those who work for God that we would show this world what following God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. And God, that they would look at the fruit of our lives, God, and see. God blesses you when you. When people mock you and persecute you and lie about we you need and your life evil dark things world. against you because you are my followers. And God, as be happy your about it, be very glad for a great reward. Fully surrender to you, God. We commit and to remember out our faith prophets were persecuted to standing out in the same way, even when we know because we, might we read this this passage, this intro to Jesus' sermon. We, God, we see all of these attributes, these things the that Jesus addresses here. Because we um, know that the rate of them, of the as we are in week eight, and we're looking at the final do, one today, um, that God blesses God, those who are persecuted no for doing things, right, no matter what we're heaven is there. Again, the more traditional translation of this beatitude is blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And as we look at these, as we said last week, these last two beatitudes are a little bit different than the first six. The first six are all inner uh, inner characteristics of your own heart and your own attitude. The first six are pretty easy to fake. These last two are more outward, right? These are about your outward actions. It's about what other people see of you. If you truly live the first six, then these last two will be true. And, and yet, these are ones that you can't fake. These are ones that are very public in nature. They're even outside of you. And they're not private matters at all, but very public issues. And they're really about how you are going to react when you are publicly mistreated for following Jesus. And again, this is the last one. And, and yet, when we look at the order of them, I think the order is not very significant, except for, I believe, the first one and the last one are very significant. This is the last one, and for good reason. Because Jesus knows that if you live out all of the seven things we've already studied... That this last one, this persecution, is a given. If you truly live all of those out, then persecution is going to happen. Right? And we look at that again, we see that's why this is the last one, because this culminates, right, in the fact that persecution will be a given. It's not if, it's when. Right? And, and if we're truly living these out, if we're taking our faith seriously and, and following all these teachings that, that, that Jesus gives, not just in the Sermon on the Mount, but, but just in, in all of Scripture as we, we read this, we will understand that as a believer that is fully surrendered to Jesus, that has received him as my Savior and moving forward in my faith journey every day, then I will understand more and more that life is not about me. That I am living for God and God only. And the people persecuting me shows that I am different enough for the world to notice that there's something different about my life. That I might actually be making people around me uncomfortable because I do life differently than them. And therefore, persecution will happen, it will be a given if that's true in your life. Because God's way of living life is written on everyone's heart. Everyone's heart, whether they're a believer or not, whether they acknowledge even that God exists or not, it does not change the fact that God is, is real. 
that God is there, right? And that they have God's way of what, what is right and wrong written on their heart. Okay, in fact, let's just step back for a moment and think about those that don't believe in God, that even deny his existence. Have you ever wondered why people believe that there's a difference between right and wrong? Because even someone who claims to be an atheist or doesn't know about God, they still believe that there is right and wrong, don't they? Right, why? Because the, the truth is, if we just evolved from monkeys or some sort of pre- primordial ooze, right? There is no difference between right and wrong. There's no standard. But if God created us, then there is a standard. And if God is creator, then he sets the standard. And that standard is written on our hearts because we are created by him. Again, this, this is just very logical, if you think about this, right, that if there is a God, and, and if we believe that God is holy. And again, the standard's not something that, that he makes up. It's just, it's who he is. Right? He's holy. He's pure. Right? He, he completely embodies everything that, that Jesus describes in these Beatitudes. And again, we've seen that as we've studied it, right? That these are character traits. And they start with God himself. And so if God is holy, if that's just who he is, it's a part of his nature. And then, the, then if God creates humans in his image, then we naturally receive that standard that's written on our hearts, right? Because we are made in God's image. And again, God breathed life into us as, he's, as he created humans. And, and so... If God is holy, and if God is truly our creator, and we are made in his image, as the scriptures tells us we are, then the, then the natural result of that is that holiness is the standard for humans. Right? And that, again, holiness, right, is this kind of churchy, scholarly word for right and wrong. Right, that my life will be more holy the more I'm like Jesus. And when we move forward in our faith journey, if, I, if I'm more, again, if Jesus is the destination of our journey, and if I'm moving towards that destination every day, I'll be more like Jesus tomorrow than I am today, which means I will be holier tomorrow than I am today. Right, and I will live that standard. And so if this is true, right, and, and again, we believe this is true because that's exactly what Scripture tells us, that God is holy, that he creates humans in his image, and therefore holiness is the standard for humans. It's why we all believe that there's a, a right and a wrong. And yet, when then we still make a sinful choice because, again, as Scripture tells us, we're all born with a sinful nature. All have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. And so when we make a sinful choice, we know it's wrong, but we do it anyways. So if, if I know it's wrong and I do it anyway, what's going to make me feel better? Well, what's going to make me feel better is if everyone around me also does my sinful choice that I chose. Because if, if everybody around me makes the same choice, I, am no, I don't no longer have to feel guilty. I can just be normal. 
Right? So then I don't have to feel guilty. I can just, just say, no, I'm just like everyone else. I'm normal. Right? And, and if I'm normal, then I don't have to feel bad about being normal. And yet, as we establish this new normal within our, our own culture of what is right and what is wrong, it's not based any longer on God's standard. It's based on what everyone else does. And, and so... If we set this the new standard of what is normal, what do we do with someone who doesn't comply with the new normal? Because if they don't act the same way as everyone else, then it just reminds everybody that what the normal is isn't right. And it, it, it makes them realize the truth, which is that their decisions aren't really normal, they're sinful which is the truth. And so what's the best way to get rid of a person that makes me feel guilty about my lifestyle? Well, I can make fun of them, I can spread rumors about them, I can belittle them, and then they will stop hanging around. And I stop feeling guilty. And I can just be normal, and I can be comfortable, and it's fine. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here in this beatitude. He says, blessed are those that are persecuted because of righteousness. Right? Because if you are persecuted because of righteousness, that means that your life is different enough that people will feel guilty when you're around them. That you're not normal. You're saved. You're washed by the blood of Jesus. Right? And you live life then by his standard, not by the world's standard of what the world is trying to convince us is normal. And so therefore, if all of that is true, we get to the place of what Jesus is actually teaching us here. And that is that persecution is a badge of honor. Right? Because persecution means that I am living my life of faith and that people see how real that is. And consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you are persecuted and made fun of. All right, and this, this is a passage in 1 Peter. And again, 1 Peter is just repeating again this concept that, that Jesus teaches us here. Again, we, and when we think about this idea and this concept and, and, and this, even this last beatitude, it makes these last few verses that we read in this opening, in the opening passage, right, verses 11, 12, make a little more sense. When he says that God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers, be happy about it. Right, be glad. Again, how can we be happy? Well, be, we can be happy because it means I am taking my faith seriously, that I'm living the life that God has called me to live and that people notice. Enough that people notice. Because, you know, think about that. It, even, and this is, what I believe, one of the reasons why um, evangelism or sharing the faith, God's faith is not easy always in our culture because the reality is if the only thing different about your life is that you don't sleep in on Sunday, that they're looking at that and be like, why would I ever want to do that? Right? You have all the same problems. You, do all, you have all the same hang-ups. You have the same addictions. You have, you have all of the same struggles that I do. The only difference is I sleep in on Sunday, so I don't need God. 
And when we look and think about that, this is, again, a, a very humbling idea and concept. Because it is a very public thing, but yet when we look at the way that people react to me, especially non-believers in the world that, that are living by the normal standard, not by God's holiness standard, and again, if they see nothing different about my life, then it should make me afraid about the state of my faith. Jesus is telling us that if you live out all these attitudes, then you will be persecuted which only gives us more opportunity to live out these attitudes. And that is when we must make the choice of showing mercy by turning the other cheek or by making peace. Can we stay pure in heart and remain humble if we choose to engage in a fight? Jesus is describing a whole new cycle that we must live as his true, fully surrendered follower. And and the, the humbling reality of this, I think, as we look within our own selves and our own lives and my own faith journey, right, is, is we also realize the, the, that the other truth, right, the other side of the coin, that, that if I'm being persecuted, it means that I'm living out my faith and through that, but, but what if I'm not? What if I'm not being persecuted? I think there's some reasons I think we can logically come up with of why you wouldn't be persecuted as a follower of Jesus. If you play church, you won't be persecuted. If you, if you just come and, and to check off the box, okay, attend to church, I'm good for the rest of the week. If you say you're a follower of Jesus, but you don't actually follow Jesus, you won't be persecuted. Again, look, look back at Jesus' statement in this beatitude. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Right? But that's not the end of the statement, is it? Okay, no, the, the, the whole statement is blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Right? Because of doing right. Because the reality is you can be persecuted for a lot of things. And a lot of them have nothing to do with Jesus. But you can be persecuted for all kinds of things. A lot of them have nothing to do with righteousness. So if you're not being persecuted because of righteousness, that means that your life does not stand out enough to be noticed. It means that righteousness is not evident in your daily life. It means that God is cool when you are around this building or around others that you know also claim Jesus, but once you walk out these doors, it doesn't mean anything. It means that you're normal. And Jesus is trying to get us to realize that normal is not a good thing. And the reality is there are fakers among our churches. There are fakers in Oregon Trail. There are fakers in every church. And yet I hope and pray that we can change that. I hope and pray that we can take our faith journey seriously, that first we will join the journey of faith, that if you've never received Christ as your Savior, that you will turn your heart over to him. 
confess your sin and ask him to save you and come into your life and, and, and that you will then engage in the journey of faith and you will move forward in your faith. Right? Whatever that looks like for you. Again, everybody's journey is different. Right? Your journey is different than mine. Right? But I hope that we will have in common the fact that we are not going to fake our faith. We're going to take it seriously. In fact, look what Jesus says in, in Matthew 5, a little later in, in verse 20. He says, but I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, this comes as a stern warning from Jesus. Right, that unless your life, daily lifestyle, is better than the Pharisees and religious leaders, then you will never enter the, enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I've, I've said through this whole series that Jesus does not address the way of salvation in the Sermon on the Mount, and he doesn't, but this is the closest he gets. Right, is he says, hey, they think they're saved, but guess what? Their righteousness isn't good enough. And, and even if yours even goes way beyond theirs, you still will never enter the kingdom of heaven because you cannot earn it yourself. You can never be good enough, which is why we need a savior. It's why God sent Jesus as our Messiah, right? To take our place, right? To pay the price for our sin that we could not pay ourselves. And, and yet in, in this warning, obviously Jesus clearly calls out the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law. I mean, he uses them as the example of what not to do. Right? And, and the reality is, is Jesus knew something that, that we also know, because we can look back at the Gospels and we see the Pharisees get knocked on a lot by Jesus. Right? And, and yet, uh, we, we can see and know that the Pharisees were the best at playing church. They were really good at it. And they had everyone fooled. If you think about this, right, there's all this talk around the sports world. If you're a sports fan, you know, right, and you've heard it about the GOAT, right? Everybody wants to be the GOAT, the greatest of all time. In fact, if you watch the Olympics, right, they're coming in, they're like, oh, Simone, Simone's the GOAT, right? And then she pulls out, and like, well, maybe she's not, right? And we have all this discussion around who's the GOAT of basketball or, you know, can Jordan beat LeBron, like all these things, right? Who's the GOAT? And I'll tell you, though, is that the Pharisees were the goat of faking faith. They were good at it. They were good at playing church. They were good at appearances. They were, they were good at making everybody believe that they were the most righteous. To them, it was all about outward appearances and impressions, all about religion and had nothing to do with relationship. Right? Jesus was saying that they had completely missed the point. Jesus calls them out for being just a bunch of fakers. And he says, by the way, you don't want to be like them. They're pretty normal. Don't be like them. And Jesus concludes his message, this, this whole Sermon on the Mount, he concludes this message by identifying a few different kind of fakers among the faith. Okay, the first Faker, after he calls out the Pharisees, he calls out the false teacher faker. Okay, and he does this in, in Matthew uh, chapter 7, 
verses 15 through 20. So again, hopefully if your Bible's still open, flip over to, to chapter 7. Okay, and, and as we look at, at this concluding chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, okay, we see there's, there's some, some, some pretty famous passages here. Okay, in fact, in 7, right above it, we see in verse 12 is the golden rule. In verse 13, Jesus talks about the narrow gate, right, which again is a very famous passage. And then we move into the next little section in verse 15, okay, where Jesus calls out the false teacher fakers. He says, beware of the false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Again, Jesus says you can't fake it. You can try. You can fool most people, but, but you can't fool God. And Jesus is teaching us to, to be able to distinguish who the fakers are. He says, look at their fruit. Look at what their life produces. I mean, this is the exact concept, right, that he teaches in this last beatitude, right? Because he says, if, again, if, if they're normal, right, if... if if they're, 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 they're mean, if they're not living out all of these beatitudes, right, in their life, then don't listen to them. Because that's the wrong example. Again, the reality is that there are people who have fooled everyone else into thinking that they are re religious. But they've missed the whole point. Because Christianity, following Jesus, is not about religion. It is about relationship with your creator. Right? And if all you want to be is religious, you can fool everybody. And Jesus says, don't fall for it. So you don't follow the wrong teachers. Look at the fruit of their life. And Jesus calls out kind of the false teacher, right? The false leader faker. And then, but Jesus doesn't stop there. He continues on. <laughs> In the sermon. And in the next little paragraph, Jesus calls out the, the do everything to look good faker. And he, he addresses them in verses 21 through 23. Where he says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Now, I don't know about you, but I read that passage and it kind of sends shivers down my spine. You, you look at that and think about, again, these are people that, that, that prophesied, that cast out demons, right? That literally did miracles. 
Right? And there comes Jesus and say, God, I did everything for you. And he's like, yeah, but you missed the point. If you're the person that writes in your Bible, I encourage you to underline the phrase, I never knew you. And if you don't write in your Bible, write it on something else and circle it. Hey, because Jesus is saying, guys, it's, it's not about religion. It's about relationship. The essence of salvation is knowing God and him knowing you. And I will tell you, God already knows you. He already loves you. But will you, again, open up your life to a relationship with him? And it's not about doing the right things and about looking good. The reality is you can fake all of that. You can look good for everybody else. You can play church. You can, you can even fool all of us. But you can't fake the relationship part with Jesus. Following Jesus truthfully isn't about doing the right things. It's about being the right thing. Right? And being the right. It's about your identity. Right? The gospel is about relationship with your creator. And through that relationship, you find salvation. As well as you find what your purpose here on earth is. And you find your real, true reality, which is God's child. And when you receive Christ as your Savior, and you join the journey of faith, and, and truly find that saving knowledge of him, you, your identity changes from God's creation to God's child. And that's not something that you can fake. Will you submit to your true identity as God's child and live that way every day? Because that's the point. Don't miss the point. You'll never be able to do the right things or really even do anything that's described in the Sermon on the Mount unless you fully surrender yourself to God and do it by his power. Because just as you said, unless your righteousness far exceeds that of Pharisees, you will never make it. You cannot earn your salvation by good things. Will you fully surrender yourself to God and, and let the Holy Spirit transform you from the inside out? So we look at this again, right? as we say, we know, right, that people fake church all the time. So why? Like, why would people do it? What's, what's, what's the draw of that, right? Well, I'll tell you, it's because the reality is that if you play church, even if you fool people in church or whatever, if you play church, it, it can make you happy. Right? Because God's people are good people. Right? They, I hope, right, that again, you'll find in church, whether it's our church or any church, that, that you'll find just love and acceptance, right, that you won't find anywhere else. Right? That, that, that you will sense, right, a community of people that's different than other places you find community. Right? That there, there is something different. Playing church can make you happy. And, and truthfully, if you play church, then you'll always be happy no matter what crowd you're in because you'll always fit in with whatever crowd you're with because you just act with what, however everybody else acts when you're around them. And you won't ever be persecuted because you'll always fit in. Right? And that'll make you happy. 
Yeah, I, I tell you, as many of you know, I, I, I play golf, right? I like, I enjoy the game of golf. And, and I play men's league at, at, at Purple Sage. And again, one of the reasons I play men's league golf is because the, the, the other guys that play men's league golf are not believers. Now, it's one of the ways that I use in my life to make sure that I don't end up just with fully surrounded by just God's people, right? And that I can truly live out my faith and be different than somebody because the reality is I like you guys, right? And it'd be very easy for me as, as a pastor to just live my life in the community of the church and never go outside into, in, into anything else, right? And yet, I'll tell you, though, is that, that playing golf in those matches sometimes and in those tournaments is it's not always easy to not just slide in to be like everybody else. Right, but again, you can be happy. I mean, faking church will make you happy. But, but as we think about this and look at the overall concept of the Sermon on the Mount, the reality is we don't want to be happy. We want to be blessed. Right, and blessed is very different than happy. And, and, and again, if you fake it, fake all of these things, even fake following Jesus, right, is you, you will be, you can be happy, <laughs> but you won't be blessed. Right? And that's what that this is centered on, right, is that a life with Jesus will be a blessed life. Right, because the reality is happiness is an emotion. But scripture tells us we can't trust our emotions. Right? Happiness is circumstantial. If things are going good, I'm happy. If they're bad, I'm not. Right? Happiness is also momentary. Right? It's fleeting. As long as everything's going good, I'm happy. As long as I fit in, I'm good. Right? As long as nobody calls me out, I'm happy. Right? But the moment that something else goes bad or wrong, right, happiness is gone. Right? I don't want to be happy. I want to be blessed, right? Because blessed is a spiritual state of being, right? It's not just emotional. It's not just physical. It's, it's spiritual. It pulls all those things together, right? Blessed is not circumstantial. It's concrete, right? It's, it's a state of my soul. It is not an emotion, Right? And, and, and because it comes from God, right, being blessed is eternal. Right? It doesn't come and go. Even when bad things happen, I can still be blessed. Right? Even if I get persecuted, I can be happy about it because I'm still blessed. Right? Notice the end, again, of this beatitude. Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I started by saying that Jesus left this one last on the list on purpose. But I think we can see that Jesus had other intentions with the order of the Beatitudes as well. Again, look back at, at the Beatitudes. If you still have your Bible open, again, flip back to chapter 5. Right, we see the last one. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. All right, that's the last one. Look at the first one. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. They both end the same way. 
It's the only two out of the eight that end the same way. Right? Jesus starts with those that are getting poor in spirit, meaning I know that I need a Savior, right? And that I need God in my life, that I, I'm not, I can't do it on my own. And, and that that's where that journey starts, right? For the kingdom of heaven will be yours if you can get to that place. And then you do all this stuff in the middle. And then you end up back at being persecuted because of righteousness. And the kingdom of heaven is yours. Right? Jesus bookends these with the same idea. Pursue the kingdom of heaven, not the way of the world. Right? And, and if, you, if you start there, right, do everything in between, you'll end up at being persecuted because of your righteousness. And guess what? Great is your reward. Because the kingdom of heaven is yours. And when we think about that idea, this, all these details that, that are between these bookends that Jesus gives us, and, and there's a lot to digest and to, to live out and to, to seek the Lord on and, and get help from his church to, to live out, right, is that we, we have to realize as we look at all this and as we wrap up this study on the Sermon on the Mount, right, that the kingdom of heaven is not just future tense. This is not just about you getting to heaven when you die. I mean, it is about that. It's about your salvation. That's how you're saved, right? For eternity. That's where your heavenly journey will begin. But, but the Sermon on the Mount is a whole lot more about your earthly faith journey than it is about heaven. And, and the kingdom of heaven is not just future tense. You know, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, John 10, 10, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And this verse, these words of Jesus, describes our time right now. And the reality is what is normal in our culture is to be stolen, killed, and destroyed. But yet life with Jesus means you won't be normal. You will have a rich and satisfying life. And again, I don't know anybody that doesn't want to sign up for that. Right? But a rich and satisfying life is a blessed life. And it's not just future tense, it's now. So are you experiencing the kingdom of heaven in your daily life? Do you see God? Are you pursuing your faith every day? Are you moving forward? Are you, again, diving into the spiritual disciplines that, that he, God teaches us, to living out the concepts and the heart character issues that are described in the Sermon on the Mount? Because if you aren't, it starts by accepting Jesus as your Savior. And then it continues by living your faith all the way, every day. Not playing church, right, but living out my faith. And that is the path to being blessed. But you have to make the choice. What are you going to build your life on? Are you going to build your life on Christ? Will you build it on Christ, the rock, the cornerstone of our faith, or will you build it on something else? Because the normal thing to do is to build it on anything else other than Jesus. And so I want to conclude this series exactly the way that Jesus concludes his sermon. And that is with these final verses of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Think about all this. Think about this choice that we face every day. Am I going to live my faith or am I going to be normal? 
Matthew 7, verse 24. Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. And though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey is foolish, like a person who built a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. What's your choice? What are you going to build your life on? Is it on the solid bedrock of Christ? Or is it on the sinking sand that the world tells us isn't sinking sand? Final thought for today is this. Are you ready to put Jesus' words into practice and truly live a life of righteousness? No more faking, but to do it all the way. If so, you'll experience being truly blessed in this present life and for eternity. Again, I don't know where your faith journey is today. Maybe you've never received Jesus as your personal Savior. Maybe you have received Jesus as your Savior, but you have been faking it. And maybe you're just going to celebrate today of like, no, I'm not faking it, and I'm moving in the right direction, I'm taking my faith seriously, and I'm blessed, and I'm going to celebrate that today. I don't know where your journey is at today, but I hope you'll take a step forward. Right, if you never received Christ as your Savior, I hope that you'll pray and receive him right now. Confess your sins, invite him in your life, and say, God, I want to do my side of the relationship. If you have received Christ, but yet you, you need to confess that you've been faking it, then, then pray and confess and commit to doing something different. He said, if you're just celebrating, Lord, the, the, the blessed state of your life, then celebrate and praise and worship. But take a step forward today. Lord God, we thank you that you are always by our side. God, whether we're being persecuted for our faith or just being called out by Jesus for being a faker, God, you're with us, and we thank you for that. And God, I pray, Lord, that as we go this week, that, Lord, we would move forward in our faith every day. God, that we would show this world what following you really means. And God, that they would look at the fruit of our lives, God, and see you. Lord, we need your light in this dark world. And God, as your followers that are fully surrendered to you, God, we commit to living out our faith every day, to standing out even when we know we might be made fun of or persecuted. God, help us to firmly build our lives on the rock of Christ. Because we know that the rain and the wind and the floods will come because, because they do. We live in a fallen world. God, we thank you that no matter what we face, no matter what we're going through, you are there with us. We're never alone because we're your child. And we thank you for that, God. Be with us as we go this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.